Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hey, thank you for joining me. I am Chris Shandro, the pastor at Compass. And we're going to start today by getting our mental juices flowing a little bit, okay? I want to give you a brain teaser, a little riddle. Okay, so you ready? Okay, here it is. A father and son are in a horrible car crash that kills the dad. The son is, is rushed to the hospital, and just as he's about to go under the knife, the surgeon says, I can't operate. That boy is my son. How is this possible? That's all right. I'm going to give you a few seconds to think about it, so go ahead. Think you got it? Either way, I, I promise you this, you are definitely in one of three groups right now. Those who have the right answer, those who have the wrong answer, and those who have absolutely no idea. Well, here's the answer. The surgeon is the boy's mother. Now, if you got that right, you are in a surprising minority because on average, only 15% of people get that riddle right. More people guess that the surgeon is a ghost than guess that she's a woman. And, and interestingly, men and women are equally unable to solve this riddle. And the reason is that there are stubborn gender biases that have been built into our culture that assume doctors are men. And these certainties, they make it almost impossible for us to even consider that anything else could even be true. And, and this type of stuff is not all just gender related. I mean, we've seen certainty about government and corporate corruption keep people from following the overwhelming consensus of trained medical professionals on dealing with things like COVID. We've seen certainty about media bias cause people to ignore demonstrably proven facts simply because those facts were reported on a platform or a media you know, station that they don't trust. We've seen the certainty from football fans that this year is finally gonna be the year that their team wins, rather than just doing the wise thing and following Tom Brady to whatever team he's playing on. My point is this, that as much as we crave certainty in our lives, and no matter who you are, certainty often keeps us from seeing what's true and from acting on it. And this is true of religious certainty as well. And there's, there's nothing that traffics in or craves certainty more than religion. The black and white of what's wrong and right. But what happens when there are different certainties in the church that conflict with each other? Or when, like in the riddle of the female surgeon, the things that we were so certain about don't hold up. Well, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus dealt with both doubt and certainty. And in this message series we're in, we've talked about how John the Baptist wrestled with his own doubts about Jesus. Uh, we've talked about what happens when Jesus doesn't meet our expectations. And today I want to talk about how certainty actually kept people from seeing who Jesus really was and the surprising way in which he responded to it. And all of this started when John the Baptist's followers came to ask Jesus if he was really the Messiah they were looking for. Because John the Baptist, who sent them, he was having some doubts. And so check out Jesus' response in Matthew 11, 4 through 6. Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, 
and the good news is being preached to the poor. And then he added this last line, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Now, this isn't the clearest response to the question. You know, Jesus could have just said, yeah, I'm the Messiah, I'm the guy. But he gave this kind of cryptic response. And he, and he answered John's question in this kind of cryptic way when his John's followers went back and took it to him. But it does kind of raise the question, why? Well, the story continues in verse 7 through 8. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. So after John's disciples leave, they take this cryptic answer that Jesus has given them. Jesus then turns and he addresses the crowd of people that were apparently there the entire time to hear John's disciples ask him if he was the Messiah. And one thing to know about the crowds that flocked to Jesus is, is that many of them were originally followers of John the Baptist. John himself was a very famous and well-known teacher and, and prophet who people would travel days and weeks to see because the Jewish people were crushed under this oppressive Roman rule and they were looking for someone who could give them hope. They were looking for someone who could give them answers. What's going to happen? What should we do? And as a result, John the Baptist had a massive following, at least until he was arrested by Herod, who was the regional king. And he was arrested because John criticized Herod for marrying his brother's wife. And as a result of John's arrest, many of his former followers started following Jesus, looking for the same answers, looking for the same hope and the same guidance on what they should do to be saved from Rome. Story continues in Matthew 11, 7 through 8. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd around John. What did you go out in the, into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. So this is what Jesus is doing. Jesus turns to the people and he asks them about what they expected when they went to see John the Baptist. What did they think they were going to find? What were they looking for? And to get what Jesus is asking, there's something important historically you need to know. Herod was the Jewish king of Judea, even though he was a puppet king who'd been installed by Rome to do what they wanted. And as king, Herod stamped his own coins like these. And on those coins, Herod placed his symbol, a reed like you would find in the Judean wilderness. And everyone who used these coins knew that a reed was Herod's symbol. Now this illuminates what Jesus meant when he asked the people if they were looking for a reed swayed in the wind. He's saying this, he said, when you went looking for help in hope, did you expect someone powerful and connected like Herod? Or were you looking for someone in fancy, expensive clothes, someone who is wealthy and politically connected, the kind of leader who lives in a palace? And the thing is, there were certain people who were looking for that in their Messiah. They did think a Messiah, a savior would come like that, wealthy, strong, connected, powerful. But that's not who John's followers were looking for. See, John's followers were certain that the Messiah, their savior, wouldn't be found in a palace. And Jesus continues, he says this, then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, 
I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it's written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. These are like strong words about John, right? That Jesus is saying. Because here's the thing, the people, they were certain that their savior wouldn't look like a king, but that he would look like an Old Testament prophet, just like John did. And when he's talking to the crowd, Jesus affirms John. He, he lifts him up saying how great he is. He even uses Old Testament scriptures to affirm that John is the one who's going to come before the savior. And the people must have been loving it too because Jesus seems to be affirming what they were already so certain about. But things get a little more confusing as Jesus continues talking to the crowds in verse 11. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Huge compliment, but he keeps going. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who, is, who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Okay, I'll be honest. That's just straight up confusing. And sometimes Jesus said confusing things that didn't make a lot of sense. And the truth is, is that I could follow what Jesus was saying pretty easily up until now. I mean, he was talking about John, right? He was telling people how great John was. And he was even saying here that everything in the Jewish scriptures led up to John. But then Jesus also says that the least in the kingdom of heaven are greater than John. And how can that be? And then Jesus says that violent people have been attacking the kingdom of heaven. Or a better way to translate that would be to say that violent people take it by force. And what does that even mean? Why isn't Jesus being more clear here? Well, let's try to clear the fog by taking a step back and looking at what's already happened. Everything that Jesus is saying started with one question, and it was this, Jesus, are you the Messiah? It was a question that Jesus cryptically responded to without saying yes or no, basically by saying, well, look at what's happening. It was a question, check this out. It was a question that once asked and not answered clearly would have been buzzing through the crowds around Jesus. Because if John the Baptist was wondering if Jesus was the Messiah, there must be something to it. And so the question, is Jesus the Messiah, was the backdrop of everything Jesus is saying to the crowd. Because here's the thing. Jesus wasn't really telling the crowd about John. He was telling them about himself. I mean, look at the things Jesus has said so far in Matthew 11 as he's navigated the certainty and the doubt of the people. He said in verse 4 through 5 that the messianic prophecies are being fulfilled in his ministry, that people are being healed. I mean, who would do the things people expected the Messiah to do? He said that the people being blessed by the kingdom of God are those who aren't offended by him in verse 6. And why wouldn't a person be blessed by the kingdom of God if they were offended by someone, unless that someone was an integral part of the kingdom. Jesus said that John was Elijah, the forerunner of the Messiah, in verse 14. And who did John come before? Who were John's people now following? 
Jesus said that the people who come after John will all be greater than him, even the least of them in verse 11. And who could say that nobodies in the kingdom of God were greater than John? Who Jesus had literally said up to that point was the greatest man ever born. It's almost like the crowds were like, we're looking for a duck. And Jesus said, well, hey guys, I have feathers and wings. And they're like, yeah, but are you a duck? And Jesus is like, well, I mean, I have webbed feet. Uh, I waddle when I walk. I also quack. And the crowd's like, yeah, but are you a duck, Jesus? Now, I know that seems like a ridiculous analogy, but it's kind of what Jesus was doing here. He wasn't talking to the crowd about John. He was talking about himself. And by teasing the crowd into thinking harder about who John was, he was actually leading them to think harder about who he was. Which is all great, but it still leads me to this simple and nagging question. Why didn't Jesus just tell them who he was? Why was he so cryptic? The people just wanted answers, so why didn't Jesus just say, yes, I'm the Messiah? Well, I think there are two reasons why Jesus is sometimes a little confusing and a little cryptic. And and the first is that the people wouldn't have believed him. I mean, just like most people today are certain that a surgeon is a man, the people that were looking at Jesus were certain that their savior was going to look a certain way. They were certain their savior would look like a king or a person with wealth and political power, or he would look like a violent revolutionary, or he would look like an Old Testament prophet. But Jesus didn't look like any of those things. Their certainty would have blinded them to what was right in front of them. And we're going to talk about that more next week. But the other reason I think Jesus didn't say who he was is because it just isn't his way. I mean, there were lots of people in Jesus's day who came out and declared that they were the Messiah. And then they built an army and then they tried to defeat Rome militarily. They were violent men who used force to claim the kingdom as their own in order to forcefully install their own religious nation. Violent men who thought they could use the kingdom of God as a weapon against their Roman enemies by force and coercion. But that's simply not the way of Jesus. And it's certainly not the Messiah that he was trying to be because Jesus doesn't force himself on people. He doesn't coerce or demand that people follow him or his ways. Rather, Jesus knows that people need to work out who he is for themselves. Following Jesus is about more than knowing and believing information about him. It requires faith. And faith requires uncertainty that can only be worked out without coercion or force. Because uncertainty is the soil in which faith and trust in God grows. Conversely, religious certainty is the hard ground that makes it hard for seeds of faith to be planted. The reason Jesus created space for people to discover him, rather than just saying who he was up front, is this. Faith that is earned is stronger than faith that is given. I mean, look, We've all been handed a faith system, whether it's a religious system or an agnostic or atheistic system. Right or wrong, you were handed certainties by someone else. But we all also have questions. 
just like the crowds who were looking to Jesus for answers. And our questions are different than theirs. I mean, we aren't asking who the Messiah is, but we still have questions nonetheless. Questions like, is there more to life than this? Do I have a purpose? Does my suffering have meaning? Is death the end? What is the best way to, to live and be a human being in this world? And can I trust the Bible? We also have smaller questions too, more everyday questions. Will I be able to pay my bills? How do I make my marriage work? Why do I feel anxious and depressed? Is there anything that I can do to make things better? And just like he was with John and the crowds who were looking for answers, Jesus isn't afraid of your doubt and your uncertainty or your questions. Your questions don't make him angry. But the answer you need may not be the answer you expect. The best answer to your question may not be black and white. I mean, think about the riddle I asked at the beginning. If I came up to you and I said, hey, you have implicit gender bias against women, you'd probably be like, excuse me? Uh, no, I don't. I think women and men are perfectly equal, jerk. And then you'd probably be perfectly content to never talk to me again. But if I told you the riddle of the female surgeon and you struggled to answer it correctly, the tension of that might allow you to come to the conclusion in a way that actually leaves room for real change and real growth because you worked it out on your own. And that's the way of Jesus. Because in the kingdom of God, being right is never more important than being loved. And being certain is never more important than having faith. And resolving every, every question is never more important than trusting in Jesus. And I'm not saying there are no answers, but I'm simply pointing out that Jesus is okay to let you live in the tension of uncertainty in order to grow your faith. And the question is, are you okay to live in the tension? So today, what are you looking for to solve your problems or answering your questions? Are you certain what the answer is? Are you looking for a king or a rich and powerful person or a prophet or a violent, violent revolution? Perhaps what you need to do is to let go of your uncertainty about, or your certainty about who Jesus is supposed to be in your life and just let Jesus be who he is. Let him reveal himself in his way, in his timing. Let him clear away your expectations and assumptions and reset the table in the way that he is. Remember, Matthew eleven fifteen said this. It says, let he who has ears hear. And perhaps what you need to do is let go of your own answers and embrace a process of listening to him for his so that you can grow in your trust of him. Maybe we need to be more concerned about our experience with Jesus than the information that we know about him. My prayer for us is this, is may our uncertainty guide us into deeper levels of faith than we've ever known before. May we be willing to let go of our religious certainty in such a way as to allow Jesus to show us who he is in his way. And may we, as we embrace the doubts and the questions of life, step into the fertile soil of, of faith growth. Because listen, uncertainty is the soft and broken soil where seeds of faith can be planted. 
And conversely, religious certainty is the hard soil where it's almost impossible for seeds of faith to find their way down into our hearts. Let's let Jesus stretch us. Let's let Jesus grow us. And as we lean into him in our uncertainty, and as we let go of our certainty and look to him to define who he is and what he wants for us, may we become the people who he intends for us to be living the life that God always had planned for you and for me. I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com. 